This is a reading from the book of Amos, chapter 5, verses 11 through 15. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for these times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will give you just as you say he is. Hate evil. Love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have many, will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. The word of the Lord. Morning. <clears throat> Thanks, Tony, for reading our text this morning. And our kids can be dismissed at this time. But if you're a guest with us, I'm Mike Stroh, one of the pastors here. It's great to be back with you. Our family just returned from a vacation in the mountains of Colorado. We stayed with family near Vail, so you know we suffered big time all week long. Just to wake up every morning, look out the window, mountains again, come on, you know, it's got pretty boring. On the long drive to Colorado, if you've ever made the trip, if you're from Dallas or maybe you've been in Dallas a little too long, on the, on the road, eventually you begin to notice these strange phenomena called hills. You know what I'm talking about? If you're not familiar, Google it. But you keep driving and eventually you see in the distance huge mountain peaks. They get closer and closer. The last few hours of our drive, we're winding our way around and between mountains. There's a beautiful mountain stream just flowing along the road. If you've ever driven through the mountains, maybe you've seen the signs that say falling rock. Have you seen those signs before? Falling rock. And they mean it, right? You can look along the road and see rock that's fallen, right? Boulders, huge chunks of the mountain that just fall off every once in a while and some land in the road. I mean, it's thoughtful of them to put up a sign like that, but I got to wondering as I'm driving, you know, there's kind of a sheer drop off on one side and potential for falling rock on the other side. And I'm wondering, how good is that sign really? Is that actually going to affect my driving? I mean, I never learned in driver's ed falling rock defensive driving, right? I mean, if a boulder falls on your rock, or if a boulder falls on your car, you're, you're kind of a pancake either way, right? Whether you're aware they might be falling or not. But I guess they're there just to say, you know what? Driving on this road, there's an inherent risk. Rocks may fall. There's not a whole lot you can do about it. But we turn this morning to the prophet Amos. And if you're familiar at all with this book, he puts up some warning signs of his own. Warning signs that actually are helpful. Warning signs that you can do something about. Now, for his original audience, it was a falling rock kind of a message. In fact, Amos said, these rocks are falling no matter what. 
To those who have done terrible evil, Amos says judgment is sure. Judgment is coming on the nation. But to those of us hearing this message today, Amos's warning can help us change course if need be, can help us find safety, and actually can be a source of comfort. We continue our series in the Minor Prophets. We've called Live Justly, Love Mercy. Justice and mercy are key themes in many of the prophetic books, and Amos is certainly no exception. But every week we're looking at a different minor prophet. And just one more reminder, they're not called minor because they're unimportant. They're minor just because they're short. And these books pack quite a punch. We've looked at Hosea and Joel. Today we turn to the third of these prophets, Amos. So go ahead and turn there in your Bible if you're not already there. We can only, of course, hit the highlights, spending one sermon on each book. So I encourage you to read through the whole book this week if you haven't already. Nine very short chapters. And as we go through the rest of the series over the next several weeks, if you haven't been following along, I encourage you to read through the entirety of the Minor Prophets as we go through. I would encourage us all to do that. But Amos teaches us that God has clearly marked out the path to life and blessing. He's put up signs along the way to steer us in the right direction. So when we veer off the path, we do so at our own peril. We do so because we're choosing to ignore the signs that God has put up for us. But Amos not only holds up warning signs, but also direction signs to say, go this way to find life. Here is where life is found, this way, and that is in seeking God and seeking good. Let's pray together as we open up this book together. Well, our Father, we sang the words, open the eyes of our heart, and I pray that that would be our prayer, that would be the desire of our hearts this morning as we come together to your word. And so help us be attentive to not only the words that we see here on the page, but your spirit that inspired them, your spirit that would apply them to our lives. And so grow us together, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So look at the beginning of the book of Amos, chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So the prophet Amos was a shepherd. This isn't the usual word for shepherd in the Bible. This means sheep breeder. So Amos probably managed large herds. He probably even managed other shepherds. Chapter 7, he tells us he was also a herdsman. He was a keeper of sycamore fig trees. So this guy's got quite a large operation, likely a prominent and respected man in his community, kind of a shepherd, farmer, rancher. And God calls this shepherd farmer to be a prophet in the 8th century B.C. This verse 1 gives us lots of information, right? It gives us the kings that ruled in Judah and Israel. So we know the kingdom had been divided by this point. But they're not yet in captivity. They're actually at the height of their prosperity. The kings that ruled at the time in Israel and Judah. So Amos was a contemporary of Hosea, which we saw a couple weeks ago. He was a contemporary of Isaiah and Micah. But Amos was probably the very first of all the writing prophets. His writings come first, chronologically. Amos is from Tekoa. He says, a town about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. 
So God calls this guy Amos from the southern kingdom of Judah, but to preach to the northern kingdom of Israel. His message is focused primarily on the injustice found in that northern kingdom of Israel, their excesses and their sins. As I said, the nation was at the height of its power during this time. Borders were expanding. Trade was flourishing. The wealth of the rich was increasing while the poor were being cheated and exploited. With all this great prosperity came pride and hypocrisy and complacency. And so there was all this kind of rampant sin going on beneath the surface in the nation. And yet they maintained their religious duty. They kept their practices, their sacrifices and festivals. And so they insisted that God was with them. God was blessing them. And along comes this guy, Amos. And he's got something different to say. Amos doesn't pull any punches. He wants his original audience and he wants us to know that Yahweh, God, is the sovereign king of the universe, that he will judge all nations that turn against him. And not just the surrounding nations, but Israel in particular, Amos says, is guilty of violating covenant breaking the covenant that God made with his people uniquely here in Amos by how they treat each other. In chapter 2, he condemns those who trample the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the afflicted. So look back at chapter 1 and verse 2. Just get a sense of how Amos sets up his entire message. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. God is portrayed here from the very beginning as a roaring lion. Before God, everything trembles. Amos wastes no time. He jumps right in to a series of accusations against the nations. And as you just kind of skim down with your eyes through chapter 1 and chapter 2, get a sense of what I mean. First, he goes after the sins of Damascus in verse 3, Gaza in verse 6, and so on. And there's this repeated pattern Everyone starting with the line, for three transgressions and for four. This is a Hebrew idiom, has the idea of heaping up. In other words, three sins are quite enough, and four is just over the top. Their sins are overflowing. Judgment must come. Israel probably liked these opening lines, to be honest. All these other nations getting their due. Yeah, you tell them, Amos. Yeah, Damascus has it coming. But if you look at a map sometime... You'll see each nation that Amos mentions one by one creates a circle around Israel. And as they're saying, yeah, Amos, you tell them. They don't really know, but Amos is tightening the noose around Israel. Amos is actually creating a bullseye around the nation. Finally, in chapter 2 and verse 4, Amos turns to the sins of Judah, their neighbor to the south. And then in verse 6, he turns his attention to Israel here for... And then on to the whole rest of the book. Verse 6, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Chilling words. They're not laughing anymore at this point. And so through a series of messages and visions, Amos condemns Israel for their treatment of the poor, for their blatant sins that maybe they were keeping hiding beneath the surface. And so Amos reminds us that we can't separate the worship of the true God with the life that God calls us to live. If you've read through Amos before, you know this book is pretty stark. 
It's not until we get to the very final paragraph of the book in chapter 9 that we see there's a glimmer of hope. The messianic kingdom, the messianic king will come and restore God's plan and set everything right, which of course is fulfilled in Jesus. Now we love that ending, but what do we do with the rest of it? What do we do with the first eight and a half chapters? We don't much like hearing about judgment these days in our culture and God's wrath. So we tend to pick and choose the things we like about God and ignore the rest. Or we try to lay down a false dichotomy that says that's just the God of the Old Testament. But as challenging as this may be, we need to face the fact there is a God who created all things and who has the sole right to stand as judge. Of course, it's human nature to resist this truth. I love the way the message paraphrases Amos 5 and verse 10. People hate this kind of talk. Raw truth is never popular. Raw truth is never popular. But let's take a moment to find comfort in God's justice. To not be turned away or turned off by it, but to take comfort that there is a God who won't let evil stand. Who will one day set all things right. So if Amos' words that we look at this morning bring to light maybe some sin in your life, be thankful. Because it's a warning sign in the road to steer you to safety. It's a sign to point you to the life you were created to live. Not to condemn you, but to point you to life. And for all of us, we can take comfort in these words because God's heart is for his people. So if we dare, let's take just a few moments with the Spirit's help and we'll look at some of this raw truth from the book of Amos. There's several key texts we could look at. We'll just focus on one, Amos chapter 5. So flip over to Amos chapter 5. Take a look at verse 1. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise as the virgin Israel forsaken on her land, with none to raise her up. Notice the tone of this section. God must bring judgment, but he doesn't do so with pleasure. He does it with sorrow and lament. The section is set up in chapter 4 by listing all the ways that God had reached out to his people to call them back in this repeated line. It's almost haunting. Yet you did not return to me. Over and over in chapter 4. So God's heart is broken when we turn from him and go our own way, when we ignore the warning signs that he's laid down, when we ignore the blessings that God is pouring into our lives. Verse 4, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Even in judgment, God pleads with his people, Turn around, turn back to me and find life. Now, if you know anything about lament, that's usually offered after a tragedy, right? After a death or a great loss, like the book of Lamentations, where Jeremiah is lamenting, he's mourning the fall of Jerusalem. Remember, Amos offers his lament for Israel at the height of their power, the height of their prosperity. So imagine how this must have sounded to the original audience. But Amos says, Israel, your judgment is so sure it might as well have already happened. As one author notes, hearing this lament would be as jarring as reading your own obituary in the newspaper. Imagine that, sipping your morning coffee, seeing your name deceased. That's the force of this text. Amos doesn't pull his punches. This is raw truth, but it's still truth, right? Whether we like it or not. 
But we all need to face the raw truth at one time or another of our spiritual condition. The Bible says that we've all sinned, that we've all fall, we all fall short of God's righteous standard. And of course, sin comes between us and God, who is holy. And Amos tells us this grieves God. Rather than letting us go our own way, God in love sent his sinless son Jesus to die in our place, to face God's judgment for us, the ones who deserve the judgment. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior here or joining us online, this message is for you. These, this warning sign is for you, a warning of love, God's heart for you. And unlike Israel in this passage, you don't have to face God's judgment. Because Jesus died and rose again, these are words of hope. These are words of life. The prophet Ezekiel puts it this way, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And so God says to the unbeliever, Why would you choose death? Why would you choose death when I have given my own son so you can have life? So if you don't know Christ as your Savior, we invite you to put your faith in him even today. But look down in verse 10. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You've planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. So this language of building houses and not dwelling in them, planting vineyards and not drinking their wine, it might sound familiar to you. The prophets Micah and Zephaniah repeat this very same language later. And this was promised all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if they were to break covenant. God said this was going to happen. And this is a tragic reversal of the promises that God gave his people in Joshua 24. Right as they're about to step into the land, what does he say? You're going to drink wine from vineyards that you didn't plant. And now this is being reversed in judgment. So what have they, what have they done to earn such severe consequences? I mean, mass murder, sacrificing their children to pagan gods. No, here they ignored justice in their everyday life. Corrupt judges took bribes. We see in this text we just read that rich landowners would use their power. They took the land away from poor farmers and they would actually tax them their own grain just to stay on their own land. The needy were turned away. And all of these were blatant covenant violations. They may have thought they were minor sins, worth overlooking, that God wouldn't notice, but they were right there in the covenant because justice is near to the heart of God. Justice matters to God, and it should matter to us too. But often this issue of justice gets sidetracked or ignored. One reason I think that any mention of justice often makes people think you're making a political statement. Right, We kind of have our antenna up, and that reveals just how deeply entrenched we are in our political opinions. People listen for certain words to say, Aha! I label you. Whatever it might be. And these categories often come before the gospel, so even when we hear something straight out of Scripture, we filter it through a political lens or through the lens 
of our opinions and preferences. So if you're having a little heartburn, just as we talk a little bit about justice, let's remember from our previous series what it means to be a kingdom citizen, a citizen of heaven first. Part of that means that we're going to be about what God's about, right? No matter what a political party says, we're going to be about what God's about. Now, how we actually work for justice, that can get very practical. That, of course, can intertwine with how we vote, right? Our political views. So that's a valid conversation worth having. But our starting point is to agree together that justice matters to God. From a very casual reading of Scripture, especially the prophets and the words of Jesus, by the way, justice matters to God. Justice is a big deal. Another objection you hear occasionally to talking about justice is that we should only be focused on the gospel. That's kind of a nice, pious-sounding argument, right? But this is a total disconnect, and actually it's a misunderstanding of the gospel and the impact that the gospel is meant to have in the world. Believers from the beginning of church history have worked for the flourishing of humanity while they're preaching the good news about Jesus. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is what brings meaning to our present day. It's what enables us, it's what empowers us to serve others. And so let's just take a moment and check the state of our hearts right now. When it comes to justice, I mean, what are the things that are happening in the world that tend to make you angry? The things happening in the world that grieve your heart. Is it the same things that grieve God? I mean, our world is still filled with injustice, isn't it? Extreme poverty for millions, child force, labor, human trafficking. We could go on and on for hours. So we need to pray for God to give us his heart. So while judgment was certain for the nation at this time, God still invited people in the nation, individuals, to turn back to him, to escape judgment, right? To find life. Look at verse 14 of chapter 5. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. See, Amos has already said, seek God and live, right? The Lord says, seek me and live. And now he says, seek good and live. In other words, remember, a life of seeking God is tied to a life of living for God. To say it another way, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment. Amos says, hate evil, love good, establish justice. And the words of Micah, our series title, live justly, love mercy. What does God require of you? It's this. Seek God. Seek good. Do justice. Verse 21, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. These are strong words. 
While the nation is practicing injustice, their religious practice that, remember, kept going, not only lost its meaning, but God actively opposed it. He says, I hate it. I despise your religion. The very practices God commanded, by the way. The very sacrifices and festivals that God commanded. But when they said, you know what, we'll worship God, and in the background here, we'll cheat our neighbor. And God says, I'm having no part of that. What does James say about religion? Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is what? To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. To do justice. Verse 23 says, Take away from me the noise of your songs. Think of all their worship music. Their once beautiful music became abrasive in the ears of God. And I love how the message captures verse 23. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? And then verse 24. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. There were so many mountain streams in Colorado that we saw this past week. And after many hours on the road to finally get to the mountains, to finally see a clear, cold mountain stream flowing along the road, we rolled down our windows just to hear the sound of the water. Beautiful and refreshing This is God's desire for the world, that justice would flow. That like a flowing stream brings water to a dry ground, God's people engaged in serving for the flourishing of mankind to bring justice that brings life to the world and pleases the heart of God. So Amos isn't just holding up signs that say, stop injustice. He's also saying, do justice. I mean, we can't check the box if we're not actively involved in doing injustice, okay? I mean, that's a starting point. So stop cheating, stop defrauding, stop neglecting, but start living and keep growing in acts of service that promote flourishing, that promote God's peace in the spheres of influence where we are. And the injustice in our world can seem overwhelming, but remember, we have the power of God in us working through us. We have the provision of Christ to give us hearts that break for the injustice we see, to enable our hands and feet to get moving, to get serving, to meet the needs of others. I don't know how these words of Amos strike you personally. I trust the Spirit will do His work in hearts. Maybe for some it's a call to repentance. Maybe it's a sin that Amos mentions here, and maybe it's one he doesn't that the Spirit just brought to your mind. Maybe you're an unbeliever in need of Christ, or maybe you're a Christian that's been complacent in your walk with God, going through the motions, harboring some sin, kind of like Israel. Yes, on the outside, I'm going to maintain my worship, but I'm going to hide this sin over here and pretend that everything's okay. What does God say to you through this book? Return, return to me. Return to me. Seek me and find life. And unlike those falling rock signs that we see in the mountains, the words of Amos are signs that we can actually use, that we can actually do something about, to steer to safety, to find life in the presence of God. For others of us, Amos may stir up a greater awareness of our call to care about justice, to care about the plight of the poor, 
to pray faithfully about the injustices that we see in the world, to ask God how we individually and as a church can be more involved. And I love how our church has been growing over the last several months in our outward focus, in doing justice. Even during the pandemic, as we've talked about before, so many of us have, you have given faithfully to meet the materially, the needs of the materially poor in our community as we've partnered with network ministries. Many of you in recent weeks have given sacrificially to meet a very real and urgent need as our ministry partners to help them provide rice for those who are hungry. That's doing justice. Who knows how God might continue to widen our branches as we say, yes, God, we're here to serve. What grieves our heart is also what grieves your heart. Use us. As we seek to love God, as we seek to love our neighbor, as we seek, as Amos says, seek God and seek good together. For thus says the Lord, seek me and live. Would you pray with me? Our Father, you know the state of each heart this morning. And while it's not always a pleasant message to hear, we thank you for the raw truth of these prophets, like Amos, that can be a wake-up call for some of us about the direction we're headed in life, a wake-up call about what really matters. And so would you help us to repent of our complacency? Well, so many around us are suffering. Would you give us hearts that grieve for what grieves your heart and equip us to serve others in the life and love of Jesus as you have been equipping us as a church and you have been growing us. Continue that work in us. Widen our branches so we would serve our community and partner with ministry partners around the world. And so wake us up to respond to your word in the power of the indwelling spirit and with the provision of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Let us stand together.